almost doubling our money when it comes to, to B2B and retail sales that our margins on online after acquisition costs are like so minimal that you almost need the retail presence to help kind of bolster profits and, and help continuous growth on online. We are back with your favorite D2C podcast, AdSpin. As always, I'm joined with one of my favorite CMOs, media buyer, hoodied out. Or no, no hoodie. That's a, that's a crew neck, I believe the kids we call that. got the that. crew neck on today, um, baby. Always, always swagged up to the gills. Hot off the new release, shameless plug, chew on this. Um, is that out? Yeah, that's dropped, right? The first one dropped? We did drop the teaser episode about Black Friday, so check it out, chewonthis.io. No holds barred in that filmed, studio. Gorgeous we just filmed the uh, the latest episode about product launches. So, oh my gosh, that's our that's so in our DNA. Pro- so, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of product launches, you have something right on the cusp. Uh, Milwaukee's been telling me I got a hard stop with this. So, without further ado, our guest Andy Rosenberg of Mac Weldon fame and others. Um, Andy, how goes it? Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm super excited to jam on on everything that we uh, you know I'm pumped. For the last uh, last ten minutes, we have so much to cover. So let's uh, let's dive right into it, right? Yeah, let's dive in. I think the first thing we'll talk about is there's been a bit of a. Uh, I've been joking, kind of. I'm a, a big True Detective fan. Well, first season, anyways. Um, and there's a great line in there, like "Time is a flat circle" or "Corduroy is back," where Omnichannel is kind of the soup du jour, the the bell of the ball, where. Every kind of successful D2C brand that I know now is really kind of hunting down the barrel of how do I get into either wholesale, retail, or some sort of channel that isn't D2C. Um, Andy, take me through those thoughts because you had some really interesting ones, especially with your your previous experience at other gigs. Um, how do you see omni-channel and then, you know, quote unquote, retail in specific, really starting to factor into people's roadmaps um, as they build their businesses outside of online? Yeah, it is such an interesting time. You know, we've spent the last eight to nine years prior to, I, I, I was promising myself I would not use the uh, term iOS 14.5 at any point in this conversation, but building up these digital first experiences and driving customers from ads online to a PDP, to a landing page, and hoping that they have a great experience and check out. Um, while other businesses, you know, outside DC were operating for for the last century, right, selling yeah, at, uh, yeah. in brick and mortar and retail, and now we're at this convergence where you know it's really important to represent your brand both online and physically in a cohesive manner that you really drive home that experience that you want your customer to have from any touch point. And when a customer is shopping in store that's many times their first introduction to your brand. So you don't have the luxuries you used to have in explaining who you are, what you do, and why your customer, uh, potential customer should buy your product. And so, you know, what I'm most interested in right now is working with companies and brands and having these discussions of how do you optimize that journey for the customer um, when they shop, when they go into a Target, a Walmart, uh, you know, a Kroger, for example, and experience your product for the first time there um, and really getting them to buy in a best case scenario, both online uh, and, you know, at the point of sale in brick and mortar. 
Yeah, I was actually talking to uh, another uh, retail maxi as well, Elijah Snyder, shout out Elijah. Um, and the analogy I was kind of giving him, so in I live in Austin, Texas, that's where the marketing HQ is. And four or five years ago, the kind of go-to-market strategy for restaurants was essentially food trucks. And your food truck would prove out your PMF. And the analogy there is your food truck is your D2C store. And then once that PMF is solid, you're like, oh, man, people really want this. Then you start building brick and mortar restaurants. And then you really start to build like a proper, proper business. And I really feel like that's kind of what's happening now um, in terms of the evolution of D2C, where I think you're absolutely right in terms of there's just been such a swing in, and, and Ash, you can speak to this as well, because you guys run a fantastic D2C store, but you're, you're really leaning heavily as well. Like, I mean, we joke about, but the vitamin shot promo is like one of my favorite parts of the show, but the, having some sort of retail presence outside of digital economics, uh, like it just, the margins start to look way better. Freight's way better than nickel and diamond and pick and packing and things of that nature. So what's your kind of feel and take here, Ash? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to like the retail stuff, and I've mentioned this before, where like retail has been a pretty pretty big crux of our growth, or and and it allows us to grow online, right? So like you just mentioned, the margins are so much better. Um, you know, we're making we're almost doubling our money when it comes to to B two B and retail sales. That our margins on online after acquisition costs are like so minimal that you almost need the retail presence to help kind of bolster profits and, and help continuous growth on online. Um, that's like one of the biggest things for us. And then the secondary thing is showcasing, I mean, just being in these retail like placements, is it's, it's a huge trust factor, right? Like the fact that I can market or put in our like ads, like, hey, we're at the vitamin shop, go pick it up or whatever it is, but then send that traffic to the website. It kind of gives that like, oh, okay, well, they're in here. Vitamin Shop's a respected supplement store for health and wellness. They must be good, right? So now it kind of adds that level of like trust and like awareness factor, which inevitably helps conversion rates and and, and CAC and things like that, right? So um, that's the secondary thing. And then the third thing is also just additional level of discovery, right? Which I think Andy will get into, um, but just discovery on just outside, right? Um, the fact that like people are going to the store and they're like, Hey, I'm looking for something for my hair, skin and nails, or I'm looking for something for weight loss. And like, you know, the, the, the employees or the, the specialists are like, okay, well we have this, it's a flavored collagen, brand new, does this, this, and this, try it out. And then you see on our back end, like people are like, Oh, I saw this environment shop. You guys have more flavors online. Let me shop online. Right. So I think those are the three key things to having both you know the ddc and the retail approach um which we're still trying to get into so super excited to learn from you andy like how can we maximize this like what are what are some tips and tricks that you got for us yeah i mean if you think of you know broad targeting right this is extremely broad targeting you're not really going after someone who's potentially coming into target to shop for or any or anywhere right for let's use the example of cereal right um, they're not coming in the target necessarily to shop to cereal, but it could be a part of their shopping journey, right? So you need to stand out. You need to plant a seed potentially if you can. Um, so this is where I think there's engine discussion where top of funnel advertising to me is still a great way, especially at the point close to the point of sale. Um, 
it's a great way to test the waters. And, you know, there are a lot of companies now that have many more ways to add a little bit of layer of attribution to, uh, to this process, right. To, 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 to make everyone sleep a little bit better at night. But, um, you know, brands have been doing this for years. If you walk on 14th street, uh, and, and go to the Apple stores, there's still a giant Apple billboard out there. You're conditioning the right. customer to go in with, you know, Apple 14, uh, uh, pro right right now um apple doesn't necessarily need to do that advertising but they're still doing it because they want the customer to go into the store with you know that seed planted already hey maybe i need this phone um i think going back to the example of like cereal uh in target very crowded category you're competing against legacy brands challenger brands you are trying to decide do i need keto cereal do i need you know less sugar or am I fine with Tony the Tiger still, right? Um, and so a lot of the legacy brands have had a leg up, but I think incorporating top of funnel advertising close to a point of sale, and you can test this in you know smaller markets. You don't need to go nationwide to begin with. Um, you can start you know with one market, right, and just do a little bit of, of testing there, and see if you see a lift you know at retail because I do think it's important for the customer to have an idea of who you are before you enter the store as difficult as that may be. Um, so I think that's one way. I think really great packaging. I, I do not think you can undervalue the importance of packaging today. And actually that's, that's super exciting to me because look, we can debate, you know, how pretty you need to make a digital ad, but I don't think you can debate at any point that your packaging needs to stand out. Um, so that's the second, that, that's the first thing I would even think about even before, a, you know, an out-of-house campaign right now. But um, I think having really amazing, and you do a great job with Avi, right? Like, it stands out. That, you. you know, first thing I see when I walk into to Vitamin Shop, you know, it, it really does. So I think that's that's another. I want one final one. This is a tough one. I, I still think you need to be competitive on price. And, Interesting. and that, that is a challenge um, because we all know how supply chains work. And for the most part, uh, you know, no one wants to hear that, but um, I use the example of discovering a brand at Costco, right? Costco is going to set barriers for how much, you know, they're going to want to sell your product, but you're still trying to attract a customer that is trying to deal seek to a degree or buy in bulk. And so you have to line up with that customer mindset. So I think remaining competitive on price is important, um, wildly challenging, but but part of the process. And so those, those three things, I think, uh, probably uh, let's, I'd love to talk a little bit more about packaging and, and your process to, to approaching packaging and, you know, what types of information should we put on the label? Um, to right. begin with? Yeah. Oh, there's, there's, there's so much to unpack here. Let me, let me <laughs> jump in here, Ash, cause I know yeah, I'm so <laughs> oh, I'm, Andy's just absolutely teeing me up. He's just like in my head already. So there's a few things there before we get to the packaging. Cause I really, really want to get to the packaging. Um, can you guys describe kind of the machinations behind a retail deal? Because what I don't think people understand, because I agree with you on the pricing, Andy, but there's a certain aspect. So like Moise Ali of Native said F you to pricing and he charged a bazillion dollars for natural deodorant, right? So it wasn't like competitive pricing. It was almost in a weird way, like a product differentiation with the pricing. But also you said something about uh, Costco. And Costco, in a real way, is not – so there's essentially two ways to look at it, right? There's a price taker and there's a price setter. And, and Costco, in a weird way, turns – even though they're buying it from you, they're buying it at such volume, they kind of become a price setter, right? Where it's like, hey, I'll buy X amount of volume or units, but I'm only going to pay Y dollars. 
versus, you know, as a, a business, you say, hey, I'll sell you X amount of units for Y dollars. And, and then Costco becomes the price taker. But in a, in a lot of ways, some of these retail shops are ultimately price setters. And so how does that work as a business? So if I'm D2C retail curious and I want to possibly get into some of these stores, for people that aren't in that space, can you give some color into kind of how that actually, like the, the literal machinations of getting into a store and the price negotiations? I mean, you can just make up numbers, but can you walk our listeners through that? You know, I think it's different for every category and every brand. So, you know, everyone's going to have to experience them. I think in the sense of like apparel, for example, the, the retailer is going to have, you know, a certain price that they're going to want to purchase at, you know, your product at, right? And then they're going to have a idea in their head of what they can sell back to their customer. And then as a brand, you're going to want to keep those prices as similar as possible if you can, uh, because you don't necessarily want to give uh, your third party retail partners an advantage and you want to create right. a similar customer experience. So many times it will even out. But I do think, you know, the retailers have a little bit more leeway to price it a little bit below if they want. You have to structure that into the, to, because it's a volume play and an exposure play. Um, many times when I had these discussions with internal members or external organizations or any type of partners, uh, and maybe this is a bad analogy, but if you think about where you're putting your marketing dollars right now, um, taking a little bit of a hit up front, you know, in terms of forming these third party relationships, getting into retail, you can almost, you know, loosely look at this as, you know, taking some of what you would put in towards advertising, right? In a store, right? And sleep a little bit at, better at night by taking that away from your margins, right? And that's how marketing I Marketing spend kind of is what you're saying. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, I, it, air quotes, but... Air, heavy, heavy air quotes. <laughs> um, and and there, there are people probably, I, I, you know, maybe just gain 50 Twitter followers because there'll be people attacked. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but, but that's the best way I put it. And part of the reason I've tried um, putting it into that language and that terminology and that framework, um, getting your product into the store is only the first step. I think where there are challenges is then uh, are then how do you get to your product to stand out? And yeah. how do you get your product to stand out in the store? How do you get the product to stand out digitally? Because most retailers also have e-com built in. Um, and there's these amazing you know, things going on on e-com sites where you can now pay for sponsored you know, units on a branded search, or not branded search, but a product search page, right? So if I were to type in t-shirts on Nordstrom.com, I can actually game the system right now and pay for a unit to have my brand's t-shirt that I'm selling there come up first. And so allocating spend towards that is important. Whether this works, I TBD, I still, there's a lot to still test there, but um, yeah, I mean, that's a long way to say, think of this as what you would normally be doing to expose your brand uh, in a, in a more traditional marketing ad spend sense. I'm so into that. So I want to get to you, Ash, as well. But you put a perfect segue as well, Andy. You're you're just on a roll here. I love it. Um, is packaging. So I recently did. Uh, we have a sister show, You're Not Your Row, as where I interview founders, movers and shakers. And I was just on with the co-founder of Strix. It's like uh, like men's makeup essentially. And he was telling me because one of the things that we talk about a lot is the experience, right? Like the experience. It's very hard to 
create a really compelling experience digitally because you don't have a lot of runway. Whereas like in store, there's a lot more um, fidelity because you're touching, you're feeling this. And so he was telling me he had this beautiful Apple-esque experience for the D to C. And then that absolutely 0% transfers to the shelf because you can't see the product there. And there's all these things like it's just two different worlds where I think Avi, you guys do a really good job of balancing both worlds, but some people go really hard on the experience. And he was telling me once they went fairly heavy retail, they basically had to scrap all these like really fancy Apple-esque product experiences because they looked horrible on a shelf. It looked like this fancy box and you can't see the product. There's no like call outs. There's all these things. And so um, I guess either of you guys can jump in there because Andy, you seemed very passionate about the packaging. I thought that was a really interesting anecdote of like, you can win in one realm, but then that is so antithetical of what actually succeeds on a shelf. Yeah. Uh, Ash, I'm really curious to hear. I'm sure yeah. you have plenty to say this. Why don't you take it first and then I'll jump in, but yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I think ever since we started, right, the whole concept of like this bright pink branding was foreshadowing to the fact that we wanted to enter retail. Right. So like when you do go and see the, the collagen shelf right now, it's probably it's mostly vital proteins. Right. The blue tub is Dr. Axe and like yep. maybe a few others. Right. But when you go in and you see boom, pink, boom, cereal and like a spoon of like the flavor. Right. So like Fruit Loop style, like cinnamon toast crunch style, like peanut butter cup style. It's like, OK, that to me is a little bit more appealing than like an unflavored collagen, right? Yeah. So being able to like show and I guess get the user to just, I like think about like the flavor that they want or what they're about to taste is how you can win when you're like in between three or four brands of collagen, right? On the shelf, right? So right there and then you're walking past, you're looking through and you're like, boom, bright pink. Holy shit, I need to like check this out, right? Um, <clears throat> to your point of like, the example you just gave, Rabba, where like the whole experience, the whole unboxing experience, everything, it's like you can't have that because one, you need to showcase the product on the shelf, but you can't do it. But but you can do it online, right? That whole process yep. is great and it's done really well online, um, which is why a lot of our packaging has all the attributes that you need directly on the bottle itself, right? So highlights the the major key things like how much protein, yep. what is this for, hair, skin, and nails. Um, oh, by the way, we have these added ingredients that vital proteins doesn't have, right? So like thinking of those things where from the consumer, you know what your options are. It's going to be your top dogs and us. How can I compare against the top dog right there and there with my packaging, right? So it's almost like, you know how you do like a us versus them type of ad for social? Yeah. It's you're doing it right on the shelf in itself, so, right? Yeah, but... So that that's how we would, that's how we approach it. And that's how we've thought about it like but to your point you know there there are certain things where even like pricing can be a factor too right um and you, you brought this up where like you know you have to maybe stay competitive within the pricing so think of it this way right vital proteins has a 14 serve right priced at like 19 bucks 20 dollars right ours is a 30 serve but it's priced double right so visually price wise we're double the price than vital proteins but so technically good per serving we're around the same right so which is why a lot of retailers and especially retailers like costco sam's club and walmart 
do want these bundle deals where it's like, all right, I can sell like a value pack at like Costco and Sam's Club, but then Vitamin Shop and like Walmart will get the 14 serve instead because they're, then they're a little bit cheaper of a price, right? So those are like, there's so many things that you could do around there in terms of the packaging and like pricing so that you can stay competitive. Um, but there, there, there are ways to maintain margins and, and maintain the brand equity and everything you've built online still in retail. hundred percent. You know, it's funny. I look at the packaging many times as like your PDP, right? Yeah. So you're trying to get your customer. Imagine having 20 tabs open, right? A customer shopping and they have 20 different PDPs and you're asking them basically a three to five minute window, right? Or less, two minutes before they go to the next to shop. And they don't really have the intent necessarily to buy your product to begin with, to learn about your brand and make a decision, pull the trigger and check out. And that is extremely challenging. So, you know, I love the idea of, of giving the consumer as much information upfront about your product. That's a great point because, you know, talking about pricing to the surface level, if you don't get in, read the serving sizes, right? Your, the customer might think right back, oh, I'm not getting a good deal. Um this is where also even just the ergonomics of the, of the bottle, of the packaging, you know, those types of things. When I, you know, just went through a, a recent hot sauce trial um, and wanted to try new ones, you know, I was, you know, judging the weights of the bottles, judging the caps, the pores, all these types of things. Um, but in the end of the day, you know, I wanted to see on the label what I was getting myself into, right? And you just don't have that opportunity. That's a, both an advantage and a disadvantage of showing up at retail. The advantage is that you have the opportunity to stand out. Um, the disadvantage is you have limited time to tell that story and convince that customer that your product is a superior product. Again, Andy, you're just on such a screamer here because the hot sauce is a perfect example where truff. Like Truff, if you buy online, is like this insane Apple S experience. There's no way they can put that in the in a in a store. But the Truff bottle itself is actually really incredible as well, and that yeah. on a shelf looks incredibly premium, pretty awesome. And so, I think they're actually one of the unicorns in the sense of balancing both experiences and not having too much. Um, waste in terms of they can still sell the bottle on the shelf which you still haven't sent me ash vin well wani where's my ranch bottle um <laughs> but also the experience to your point andy of depending on the vectors that you're trying to play on you look and feel a truff bottle of hot sauce like you instantly are like okay this is a bottle for somebody that doesn't care about price that just wants the best Watch. And so like they, they've really nailed that. Um, and so I, I, I love that, the, that you bring that up, Andy, because that's, that's just so spot on. So Truff was the example that actually inspired me to bring it up in the first place. I, Look at that I, mind okay. though, baby. I have thought that they've done such a great job with collaborations with partnerships as a, as a person who loves partnerships as a strategy for expansion. I think they've nailed it, right? They've done a great job. Uh, but I'll admit it. I hadn't tried Truff yet. Um, and the Taco Bell and truff and maybe i'm a lagger you know 36 that uh, you can throw whatever you want on me for this but and i love hot sauce but uh, uh nate rosen right now is probably you know inspired me probably i'll give him a <laughs> shout out um but you know when they did the taco bell collab from just a pure marketing perspective and, and the scale of that collaboration i was like i have to give them a shot but i will say this i first went and hopefully this is not controversial um i first went to buy on truff truff site and then I went to Amazon and I got it for a better price on Amazon. And I probably enjoy it 
just as much, if not more, because I saved a little bit of money shopping on Amazon. But I still got a really quality out-of-box experience for everything you just mentioned because the box is still great. The, the weight of the bottle is great. Um, the cap, is great. it just feels like a premium experience. So the fact that I got it at Amazon, and this goes back a little bit to the, you know, what are the advantages of being in a third-party situation, Ash, when you were talking about in the beginning, that validation from other brands. Another good example, and I think I'm right on this, but again, my Twitter timeline probably zooms at, you know, 100 miles per hour. So if I butcher anything here, this is, uh, someone can correct me. I think Truff is now in Nordstrom even for, for gift giving and their special packaging. Oh, that make a lot of sense. Special holiday packaging that they're doing, which is a great move, right? That's another tips and tricks. Q4 trip, offer gift wrapping at your store. If you own a store, I, I ran a bunch of activations, uh, both pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, brought in DJs. Brought, I, I am anti-store activations. I will, I will die on that hill <laughs> unless they're very practical. For a customer and they enhance the experience and so the number one tip and track uh tip i can offer if you're trying to uh gain maybe some additional customers at retail offer a gift wrapping station it is so simple but but that little added value uh will draw in customers um so i think nordstrom's doing that with truck but again because the packaging was superior because i had learned from different touch points already what truck was and i had a built-in um knowledge base of it already. The fact that I got it on Amazon didn't hurt the brand's value one bit in the perception of it. Um, I appreciated the fact that I could get it from Amazon. So this is super interesting. I want to get your take on this as well, Ash. But so the way I kind of equate Amazon is because uh, we talked about another store that you mentioned is Costco. I feel like it's the same thing where you can still you can buy like $30,000 bottles of scotch at Costco. Like it's not like this is like a cheap place. You know what I mean? And so but if you buy an iPhone from Costco, you can buy the iPhone iPhone 14 Max that you mentioned. Fantastic phone, incredible camera. You buy that at Costco and you buy it at the Apple store like the experiences couldn't be further apart, right? Like the Apple store is this ivory tower. You feel amazing. Like what a credible experience. But at the end of the day, it's the same piece of hardware that you're going home with. And so uh, I just find it fascinating how that can be uh, so differential. And the too long didn't read what I'm trying to get to is it's interesting because I see Truff as like a luxury product. And that's the last bastion to fall on Amazon. Like yeah. LVMH, nobody will ever go on Amazon because it's it's too... Costco-y, right? Like it can't be seen as that. Like there's a certain scarcity that drives value for luxury brands that Amazon demolishes, but there's a certain aspect of, and that's why luxury brands are kind of operating on different economics. But to your point of, um, I was talking to uh, Drew Fallon of Mad Rabbit. Uh, they do tattoo care. Fantastic, super wicked smart kid. I mean, the guy's amazing. Um, but they had uh, trying to get into Amazon because they weren't on Amazon and they realized like, um, Salim, their founder, would basically do exactly what you talked about, Andy. Like they'd vet the product, and then when they wanted to buy it, they just go to Amazon and buy it. And we're like, we're losing all this volume. They looked at, they did a keyword uh, analysis, and we're like, we're losing all this volume to all these like copycats and terrible people that would absolutely buy our stuff. So why not just be there? And then they ended up and like added, you know, 20, 30 percent plus to their top line in terms of just just not free money, but there's a certain adage of you know. Again, luxury is kind of a weird one, but be where the people are to give you money. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it right there, right? That split between, you know, at what point do we think a third party's involvement decreases the uh, perception of luxury? 
uh, is fascinating because you could also go the opposite direction. You could say, hey, I want to, for example, like get into Nordstrom because it helps elevate my brand. Yes, you know, that's a great point. Yeah. My my feeling where I'm currently at, and I could change this within a week. I could change this within two. Let's see after Q4 where everyone is at, right? Um, I think, however, it makes it easier to get your product into the customer's hands without killing your bottom line uh, is an advantage. Uh, and if you can find, you know, momentum and and gain uh, a following on Amazon, um, and and you can look there. Are many, there are other things that Trough has done uh, to support uh, their presence on Amazon, which is super smart. I mean, they, they bought sponsored search results there, right? So they are, you know, committing some budget towards that ecosystem. From a retention res- uh, perspective, if I type in Truff right now into Amazon, the first result that shows up is Truff. It, it, there's a banner even uh, in, in the keyword search bar that says, hey, buy more Truff, you know, buy, buy this again that's sticky. That's a hook, you know, and, and it, it eliminates my decision paralysis into even thinking that I should buy another hot sauce. I didn't type in truff hot sauce. I typed in hot sauce, but they already knew that I purchased the truff and Amazon is your partner and saying, Hey, we want you to still buy more of this product. If you had a good experience of this product, come back and, and still buy it from us. So, you know, I, I think Amazon has been looked at. And again, if you had, if, if I brought up Amazon maybe three years ago, it probably had a much more negative connotation than it does now. I, I notice more people are more open-minded about exploring, operating off of Amazon. And, and personally, where I'm at right now is like, it's, it is going to be um, something to bridge the gap, you know, right. a way to get your product into other people's hands. Uh, and you know what? Amazon can find ways to make it more of a premium experience. There can be Amazon, you know, what was that TikTok uh, that's got, that went around? Uh, everyone thought Target was opening up a, 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 a oh, Target I mean, Black. The black, the Target, Target Black. black. Yeah. So Target that's not black. a thing. It, it, it was oh, yes, district. Um, so could there be an Amazon Black version of that, or Amazon Elevated? You know, Amazon Plus. I mean, look, Walmart's doing some interesting things. You know, I think Walmart's a great example in terms of brand perception. A lot of brands are entering to, into Walmart. I worked on Target, you know, back in 2008, 2009 at agency, and, and our goal was to uh, elevate the perception of the electronics department at the time. This is pre, yeah. so one of the first things I actually worked on in my career was integrating Apple within the Target ecosystem, right? Interesting. And um, I feel like I've come a little bit full circle because, you know, I avoided Target for, you know, I love Target <laughs> as a shopper, but professionally I haven't, you know, I did not touch it too much. And now I feel like got to be buddies with them once again. Um, but I, I bring it up only to say, you know, in 2008, 2009, Target wasn't thought of as a premier destination to shop. And, and I think they've done a great job in elevating their brand. I think Walmart's on the rise, too. In that really? Sense. You know, look, in the sense that I think more brands are willing to give Walmart exclusive SKUs right now, probably target more towards like a younger d- uh, demographic. Um but they're taking chances there of like launching uh, first in Walmart or, you know, using that as an exclusive channel. And that's also super interesting to me is, is you know, creating exclusive SKUs for retail. You know, that to me is, is, is a really fascinating. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of these places have that volume where it makes sense, right? So like even for us, for like Sam's Club, we've been in the talks with them for a little bit. They want a exclusive 
pack just for Sam's Club, right? So that when they're, they know that, okay, you're going to go to Sam's Club, you're going to go to Target, you're going to go to Costco. How do I capture, I like I, as in Sam's Club, how do I capture the brand equity that you guys are bringing, right? How can I be like, oh, well, I have something exclusive to Sam's Club, come here and get it, right? Yeah. And then <clears throat> even to your point on like Walmart, like kind of becoming a little bit more premium. I don't know if you guys, um, on Amex Platinum, it's a new like perk to get Walmart their new deli- their two two day free delivery if you are an Amex Platinum holder, right? So they are targeting that higher end buyer just to like get them signed up for their I guess their version of Prime, right? So I think there's like that. Sorry, Robin, go ahead. No, I I, I finish your thought because I love where you're going. Yeah, no, I, I think there I think brands shouldn't like shy away from like getting into some of these like retailers because the volume is there. That's where everybody's shopping, right? So like hitting those demos is like, especially Amazon. I don't know why people like are like shying away from there because like, oh, Amazon is gonna steal our data. This and that. Like, be where the buyers are. What like it, it just seems like a no brainer. So the so a few things there because man, you guys are on fire. This is like one of my favorite podcasts. Um, <laughs> the Walmart.com and you guys see the Amex Platinum drop over there. This kid, he's living different. Living different. Um, <laughs> The <laughs> the Walmart.com, I would agree with, is going up market, but proper Walmart is still not the, like if there's a Whole Foods and Target, it's in a nice area. Yeah, that's right. not the same thing. And not to be like denigrating or whatever, people are different journeys in their financial lives, you know, shop where you should shop. But there's Walmarts in certain areas for certain reasons, where there's Targets and Whole Foods in areas for certain reasons. And so, right. Target and Whole Foods, I think the brick and mortar is elevated in comparison to a brick and mortar Walmart. However, I will, I will take your point on the walmart.com. Cause I actually know people that low key do numbers on walmart.com. And yeah. it, it's actually to your point of be where the buyers are. There's a, it's almost like a, I wouldn't say mini Amazon because it's, it's not mini. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> substantial numbers, but just yeah. in the mind share of nobody goes, Oh, I'm going to go to walmart.com to buy this thing. You go to yeah. amazon.com. No, um, but that's a that, that's a fair point in terms of the their online experience is a little bit more upscale than their in person experience. But um, I do like the idea too that Andy that you were talking about infiltrating some of these. Essentially, you get the halo effect of certain stores, right? If you're in a Harrods or a, a Nordstroms or um, something of that, a Neiman Marcus, something of that nature, where it's like. That's just, and also I think you said it earlier, Ash, like it starts to become a marketing bullet point as well, where yeah. it's like, oh, and by yeah. the way, find us in Neiman Marks. Like, oh, you guys are in wow. Neiman's. Okay. Ooh. Like this is real talk, but yeah. this is kind of what we were talking a little bit offline as like a CMO, Andy, how do I bridge the gap or make either a direct line or a dotted line? Because this is starting to get into some fuzzy attribution. This is starting to get like where do you draw the line between performance marketing and brand marketing? Because there is a certain aspect of, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, but at the same time, uh, you know, how do you kind of think of that? Cause another great example you had was the billboard outside the Apple store. Like, what are you doing there? Like, why, why would you, the Apple store is there. What are you talking about? But yet I, I think you're absolutely right. There's a certain priming effect and there's an aspirational thing. And then you get into the, they're in the zone, right? And then they get into the ability to express that demand that you've instilled in them with that marketing. But 
you know, in, is Apple using no commerce or something where it's like, okay, I saw the billboard and that's why I purchased it. And now I have more money for billboards. So, you know, if, if you put your CMO cap on, how are you bifurcating or, you know, telling your, your people to deploy their spend in terms of either performance or brand, or how do you think of that? And then Ash, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah. yeah. It, it's certainly tricky. I think first and foremost, you need to have a good sense internally before you make these moves, how you're already making those decisions of, of, performance versus brand internally without looping in external partners, third-party retail, wholesale into the mix. Um, because once you loop those into the mix uh, and into your attribution model uh, and into your forecasting, uh, things get really messy. So yeah. my first answer is have a very strong foundation to begin with. And, and you know, I think there's still worlds to, to conquer when it comes down to, I hate the term brand marketing. If you want, if you want something to walk away with, I hate uh, and for for years of my career, I've been called like a head of brand marketing, wherever you want to call it, or lead, you know, CMO. The CMO role right now should be knowledgeable of both performance and how to elevate your brand, right? How to get your brand across multiple channels, uh, how to get your messaging and your storytelling across omni-channel. But I could throw out a thing and say there's no such thing as brand marketing. Like brand marketing had used to be associated with things that didn't have direct response attached to it. Right. Right. I think that's crazy. I, I, I think, you know, again, if you want to relate this back to top of funnel, mid funnel and bottom funnel, right. All of your marketing activities should be aligned with getting the customer from top of funnel to bottom funnel. And so if you want to say anything about, you know, how do you divide and conquer marketing budget wise, I would think of it more in terms of a sense of what are you doing at top of funnel to educate, you know, customers who maybe never heard about your brand in the first place. That's the way I would split it. And I would divide my team, but money and resources into tackling those three stages of the funnel. Um, I, I cut out the word brand marketing. Um, if there's two words that I hate the most, it's brand buzz. Um, I don't know what that is. Buzzes, buzzing is for bees and honey. Um, it, it, it's not, it's not real. It's, it's not a real thing. Um, yes. Word of mouth is a real thing. And yes, um, there are ways to measure things through NPS scores, et cetera, but sure. really having a good idea of how to um, own those three stages of the consumer decision and allocate your team resources and budget towards, towards conquering those three stages is how I would set this. Now, good, when you work in third-party retail to be a little more direct, that's where it gets super tricky because I'll give wow. an example. Um, if you go to, uh, you know, if you're running an affiliate strategy right now, and you're working with like a, a publication, right? And they're listing a listicle of the top 20, let's come up with a fake product so I don't get in any trouble. Uh, top 20 kazoos, right? Yeah. And you're selling your kazoo on kazoo.com. And then your kazoo is in the, I don't know how Toys R Us, I think it's what, one Toys R Us at this point, but yeah, um, what... whatever. So you're, um, or you're Swords selling your kazoo on Amazon. Let's say you're selling an Amazon, okay? Um, I've seen now with these roundups that uh, if Amazon discounts the kazoo a little bit more than your your kazoo pricing, they'll list that first in in the checkout. It's in the, not checkout in the click through experience to your site, right? And I, I ran up against this, and when we you know when I've expanded into third party situations, that we were getting beat out by more competitive pricing. 
And so that was cannibalizing our sales uh, to a degree and taking people away from our site. Uh, so this is where it gets really tricky. My, my quick answer to this is having really strong contracts in place with these third-party partners of how they can promote your brand, how they can advertise it. Um, it, it really goes into the territory of BD and strategic partnerships. Also, what I roll up into the CMO should be overseeing these things. Right. Uh, not your, not a sales team, but actually a CMO, because at the end of the day, you have a limited uh, piggy bank to spend from, right? Yep. And all of these decisions should be affecting each other. So the really smart CMOs going forward are going to have a firm grasp on how the nature of this business works so that you can adequately say, I am going to accurately say, I am going to give X percentage to our wholesale um, uh, expansion efforts, which includes marketing. Um, that's the way I approach it. But, but that's a very high, high level view of it. There's so much to get into there. Amazing. So make sure you have the line item for brand buzz, people, if you didn't get anything. Uh, me. <laughs> Ash, how, how do you kind of think of that in terms of, because I, I love, Andy, how you portray that as almost uh, resources behind an initiative that should have a certain output, right? And so like here, here it is, because that you guys, your head would explode because uh, I'm D to C bread. That's kind of, I did some app install stuff for a little while, but I mean, SaaS is crazy. SaaS is, so D2C has this beautiful linear consumption path, right? You have awareness, consideration, conversion, fantastic, life is good. SaaS is like this just fuckery of neural networks. It's almost like a pinball machine where somebody gets into the pinball machine and they bang around and then you have a lead to an MQL, to an SQL, to an opportunity, to a customer. And then we have two acquisition paths where we have touch lists where you can just give us money and then we have sales led. And then on top of that, you're qualifying the churn like okay cool touchless is great but touchless churns more so I, like the complaint some days i just lay my head on a pillow i'm like man i miss <laughs> i miss the good old days of d2c <laughs> but without that cathartic rant ash how do you kind of think about um you know for lack of a better word brand marketing or uh, the way i think of brand marketing in a way because i, I don't want to have pejoratives and andy's going to come over here and smack me but it's essentially like dotted line revenue, right? Where it's not, I can't directly attach it to X, Y, or Z, but I know there's some sort of soft metric that I can, that yeah. it's an initiative. It's a support for an initiative. But but how do you guys think of it at Avi? Listen, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of back and forth between the two, right? Um, yep. I think when you think about brand, you think about what are you what are you selling and why what's your what's your what's the factor that makes you different from everybody else right like that is how i think about brand right um obviously there's a there's a visual aspect to it there's there's a functional aspect to it there's so many things that you have to consider but when when you are selling your product right for example it's like what is it how does it work why are you better than everyone else and why should i buy right now you're using all the reasons why you built the brand Right. So like, for example, if for obvious, it's like we want to be the obvious choice, right? Like our branding is you want to look good and feel good by taking something that it looks a little bit younger. Right. So like that is the branding, which is what we're putting in our performance, like air quotes, performance marketing. Right. So like in our TikTok videos, it's very direct response focused. Right. So that it can drive the performance that we need, you know, that first time buying, uh, uh, first time acquisition and things like that. Right. So you're, you're utilizing all of your brand elements 
in a performance matter. So like that's where I like I see the conversations on Twitter and like the debates between the two. It's like I feel like it's almost it's it, it you you you're, you it's like you can't use one without the other, right? Yep. So I don't know if that makes sense because that, that's just the way that I've thought about it. Because like I hate I hate seeing the arguments between like the community, but like it, you're using you, you have to do both, right? At, at the same time. I think that's, you know, in a poetic way, maybe to bring this full circle, why don't we just call it omni-channel marketing? Oh, <laughs> yeah. look at this, like, people. So, so I literally changed my bio after people were, like, basically saying, and I, I've been doing, you know, and, and most of my roles, I end up doing performance and things that are more top of funnel, right? But at the end of the day, I won't say it. Uh, but you it, did it. You, well it done, is, well done. Uh, it's omni-channel marketing. It's, it's getting your, like Ash was just saying, you know, you have this idea of what you want the customer to perceive your product as. And you want to tap into that market. And then every action you're taking is selling the customer on this mission. That has to permeate throughout all of your channel communications. And I think yeah. that's what's, that's where there's such a white space still in terms of figuring out how to conquer that uh, to a degree that the customer who was so used to absorbing your brand online now there are more opportunities you see more of a migration into physical retail um and and and, you know whatever in whatever vertical you're in i think cpg is a great example of this but but Mm -hmm. hey you need to get uh that mind share uh in new ways uh and that's where that's where having that effective communication between uh the role of brand within your marketing is super important. Yeah, I think that's so well put. I, I, I also have a bit of beef with the word brand where ultimately I think brand is just this nebulous term, but the way I see brand is just the aggregation of all the touch points of your brand. Where it's like- 100%. All of these Let's make that the new thing. definition. That's yeah, just, let's edit Wikipedia or can we- okay. <laughs> Let's go, let's go. Um, Andy, this has been fantastic. You are just a wealth of knowledge. We'll have to have you back on again. Maybe we'll we'll go after a Black Friday episode or something because this was just so illuminating, man. I really loved all your takes. Um, how can people find you? How can people connect with you? What are you up to now? This time is yours, my friend. Uh, you know what? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. You know, sorry for my bad takes, uh, Andy the Giant. Uh, I'm right now kind of observing Q4 is what I tell everyone, and and you know, trying to figure out what's the best way I can help brands connect the, uh, the worlds of e-com and retail right now and more to come on that front. But for right now, I'm enjoying learning from everyone in the space. Uh, and I say that with, with true sincerity, um, it's, you both have made it super easy to uh, have these conversations and I hope to have more of them uh, in, in the near future. Absolutely. love it. Go follow the man. What is it? Andy, the giant? Yeah, and, and honestly, we're, we're trying to get like a, a Modern Warfare 2, Xbox, <laughs> PS, you know, 5. I uh, so there. So I'm a big yeah. proponent of work-life balance. Ash and I were talking about this, you know. You want to find me on the 6th there. Uh, Let's do some drops. Yeah. Let's get in this, Milwaukee. I'm excited. Let's I'm excited. get on the sticks. Um, okay, um, we're almost <laughs> a minute over. I'm, I'm almost at time. So give me the vitamin shop, spill, Milwaukee. Give me the mentor's <laughs> pass. Let's go, baby. Um, if you need some collagen in your life, head to Vitamin Shop. Yes. Anti-aging is all the rave right now. Yes. Um, uh, Q4 is well underway. So if you need any help over there, I'm on Mentor Pass. Um, lastly, Ron and I just started our own podcast. Mm-hmm. We talk about everything that we're building at Avi. 
um, 30 minute episode, super di- digestible called Chew on This. We're giving out some swag, wearing some right now. So if you want some swag, go to chewonthis.io and find me on Twitter at Ashford Milani. Amazing. And speaking of swag, if you want to help the podcast, go over to the podcast, leave a review, screenshot the review, send yeah. it to a DM. Don't tell <laughs> Apple we did that because I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to do that. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> we like to ride the lightning. Um, and if you do want to get more involved with Triple A, we are at triplewell.com. We have a fantastic Black Friday, Cyber Monday guide. It's triplewell.com slash BFCM. And then this will already be out. But if you do sign up for the Black Friday, Cyber Mo- Monday webinar, um, you can watch it post hoc, but this the webinar is tomorrow, so this won't drop by then. Then what else we got? We have a fantastic sister podcast called uh, You're Not Your Roaz. You can just search Triple Whale on all your favorite podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. What am I also forgetting? Oh, Whale Mail. Whale Mail, Tuesday, Thursday, fantastic newsletter. It goes out. One of the best D2C newsletters out there. You can subscribe, triplewhale.com slash whale mail. Boys, this is fantastic. Two minutes over, Ash, but not bad, right? We're good. Could be worse. We're good. Could be worse. We're good. Andy, thanks so much, my friend. If you're ever out in Austin, give me a shout. Uh, we'd love to just jam with you some more. I really, really love your takes. And we'll connect more offline. This is this is a fantastic show. I love it. Awesome. Milani, you're the best. Have, have fun. Is this a drop that you're doing? Uh, announcing Black Friday. Oh, my gosh. Let's go, kids. And, yeah, hopefully everybody's gearing up for that Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I think it's going to be a good one. I think, yeah. I think the things hopefully. are going to happen. Things are going to hopefully Man- happen. Manifest it. Man, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put the good juju out there for all you folks. Um, Awesome. That's another ad spin in the books. Thank you so much for all the support, people. Please share this. Please like this. Please subscribe. Do all the things. We appreciate you. Ash, Andy, you guys are the best. That's a wrap. Peace.